Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We flip the script into 2021, and with that comes another fantastic college tennis season for us to cover here at Crack Rackets. Of course, we are so excited as we got our first look at a couple of schedules for the 2021 season. The Big 12 teams coming out with their preliminary list of matches. Of course, we expect a lot of that to change throughout the course of the year as all of us try to enjoy this college tennis season in the midst of a pandemic. But of course, here at Crack Rackets, to help get all of you listeners ready for another D1 men's season, we've been breaking down our college contenders for the upcoming year. We have broken down teams number 11 through 4 in our preseason top 11 rankings and now we get to the really juicy stuff folks another national title contender on our hands here on today's podcast of course it's one that's close to home as well as we are going to talk with someone who probably has as good of a look into the Baylor program as anyone throughout the country right now and with that in mind let me introduce my co-hosts here the other two members of our college tennis holy Trinity who helped guide us through this college contender series. Let's start where we always start. Our favorite writer for our website, crackrackets.com, former four-star recruit, and perhaps now more so than ever, the lesser half of Baylor men's tennis, Nick Stokowiak. It's Matt the Crack Stokowiak. Matty, happy new year, my friend. You look safe. You look healthy. How have you been holding up in these early stages of 2021? Holding up great, man. Just a few days in, but uh, I have some renewed energy here. Uh, We're just a couple weeks out. We got some dual matches coming up, and uh, this is the podcast we've we've been waiting for, man. You know, I've been looking forward to this one here particularly for a few months now. So uh, super excited to get into this one, and and we're going to have to work on that lesser half thing with me and Nick. (laughs) You know, I, I get where you're coming from, but... Lesser half, man, I, I don't know. If if we talk to people that know both of us, you know, let's just take a majority <laughs> vote here. I think I'd probably get the nod as the better half, not the lesser half. But you know what? That, that's all right. We can, we no, can press on. I think what I'll have to say is Nick's lesser half, our better half, because certainly, even though there are three of us here, you're the better half of the equation. Chris and I just trying to fill in the gaps. And speaking of that, man, let's bring in the third member of the Holy Trinity, the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula predictions, never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames who root for the Liberty Flames, lover of Almond Joys, lover of Mothers, the professor, and our residing old person. And here's why I say that. I got the chance to spend some time with my parents and I love them both equally. I would never describe my mother as old. She is absolutely in her prime. But my father, 
he is post-prime Greg Maddox in that he's throwing all 88 miles per hour. He's finding the strike zone with everything he throws, but if you ask him to dial up 93-94, it just doesn't happen as frequently as it once did. But anyways, I'm talking to him, and I'm like, Dad, do you listen to any of the podcasts recently? He's like, Alex, I get enough of your voice. If I want to hear it, I'll just call you. It's a very fair point. I get it. You know, We don't have a conversation. My whole goal in life is I, I will keep talking at him until he goes, Alex, Alex, shut the up you know that's that's how we have fun in the gruskin household that's how we express our love for one another but i'm talking to him unprompted and i go dad what are your thoughts on almond joys and he goes alex i love almond joys to which i say <laughs> almond joys the candy of old men it confirms it all of that is to say chris Hallioris, hey great shot happy new year my friend happy to see you are doing this podcast shirted although i know i should have said the one-shouldered wonder as well you're holding up you're feeling safe and healthy yeah, I'm doing well, you know, getting through the holidays and, you know, since this is, is audio only, so this is really only for Maddie, but we're going to have to work on, on mom, Gruskin, because Maddie, I got this in the mail. <laughs> wow, there we go. Awesome, except it says, Happy New Year 2021, the Gruskin family, yet there's only three boys. Where's mom and dad? <laughs> I was highly disappointed to see the Gruskin family and all I got to the boys. But it's still... So do you want the backstory... Right you're right. We are doing this in podcast form. Let's be clear. You know, we, my parents are still loving. They, for some reason, want to brag about us, and I don't blame them. They have two sons who are at Ivy League institutions and a third son who really loves tennis. And so, you know, I, that third son that I'm sure stirs the conversation at the table, but, you know, my mom's sending out her holiday cards because she's a loving mother, and she's like, is there anyone you should add on the list? And I was like... I was like, oh, well, it was like the Thienemans, the Westoffs, duh. But I was like, I think, well, Maddie, you're giving me a face. I feel like you're too young to receive a holiday card, right? Like maybe the Stokowiak family, ooh, could I have sent it to the Stokowiak? That was maybe a blunder. You're right. It is a blunder. No, 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 no. I want one, not the family, <laughs> for me. Personally, I want a holiday card from the Gruskins, okay? Next year, write this down. No, she'll hear this. We have extras. You may get one in the next week. That's a prohibitive. You know, after this, you'll have to text me the address because after, you may end up getting one. After your intro, there, Gruskin, I I will have to promise our listeners that for for the next uh, video pod, I will have to show it because as Gruskin described it to me, two sons at Ivy League institutions, one who loves tennis. It is very clear looking at the picture. <laughs> there is no doubt in my mind when I look at that. Yeah, there's the two guys at the Ivy League, and there's the guy that loves tennis. No doubt. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And anyways, to get to that point, uh, to wrap two summaries up shortly, it was like, ugh, like, I really, I love the entire Hallioris family. They should probably get a card because they have meant a lot to me during 2020, less so now after you say that. But the second story of that, and look, I am no spring chicken. I acknowledge that. I'll eat an almond joy every now and then, and that probably is indicative of that fact, but I like okay so we there's I I did a leg a leg workout with my younger brother which was a mistake because as you guys know this jawline does not exactly reveal someone who is muscular uh you know I'm a tennis player for a reason and as I was doing the leg workout I was like huh like this doesn't feel great and I woke up in the morning I was like I think I need to stretch my lower back <laughs> 
and I tried to, and then I was just down for the count, and it just like didn't work. Wow, we're really off track here, but anyways, so I it, and this has happened to me before, and it's like whatever, it doesn't hurt that badly. It's usually a twenty four hour injury, but just my back was not functioning on that day, and that night, my mom was like, "Hey, we have to take this photo for the Christmas card. Like, can you do Christmas card, holiday card, obviously, whatever card?" Um, and I was like, "Mom, like, I cannot fake." the amount of pain I'm in like it's just one of those days like I'll take the photo but they're gonna see the pain and Chris I think now that I tell you this can you see the pain in my face yeah I I can see it yeah so I'm not my most handsome no I am my most handsome I'm always handsome I, I just it's assumed that was the pain of seeing two kids at Ivy League institutions <laughs> in your tennis you know endeavors oh, but okay look, do I have to bring out the LSAT score are we gonna do this right now Chris <laughs> um <laughs> Anyways, anyways, this is not what we are here to do, although it is great to hear both of your voices. Obviously, that is our way of saying we have missed all of you listeners as well over this holiday season, but we're ready to rock and roll with another college contender, and it is worth noting with the flipping of the script, uh, we're going to start and see some regular season matches, and as we do, you guys can rest assured, each and every week, Matt, Chris, and I are going to be coming together at least once a week to break down that action. We're also going to be voting on our top 10 poll each and every week. The three of us, once we can agree on our 10, we will cover that poll in the podcast. So that is just what all of you listeners can look ahead to during this 2021 season. But of course, we are here to talk college contenders today. And there is perhaps no team throughout the country, top 10, outside the top 10, otherwise, that presents a bigger question mark heading into this 2021 season than the team we are going to be talking about today. And that's the team we have number three in our preseason ranking the Baylor men's tennis team. With that in mind, Westoff, give me that college contender sound effect. Now, Maddie, normally I let you recap, uh, you know, where these teams were at in 2020, but it does feel like noting for this Baylor team, there are a couple of circumstances we have to talk about just from the start. Number one, this was a Baylor team that, you know, despite what felt like possibly a doomsday scenario start to their 2020 season. They ended up going, I think it was 13-3 and three overall uh, in, their, in their overall record. You know, they win a bunch of matches down the home stretch. They get a really nice win over Wake Forest before the national indoors. They end up, you know, beating Illinois at Illinois 4-3. But of course, this was a team that could just never stay healthy. They never got to see Jensen Brooksby, who was coming off of a second round performance at the U.S. Open, didn't suit up, unfortunately, once for the Bears during a dual match. And yet, they still got performances from guys like Soto and La and Boitan. And they still had so much talent, seemed to be hitting their stride. And then we got to the COVID, you know, the COVID cancellation, and we learned, uh, unfortunately, they weren't going to finish out this season, but they were going to be offering an extra year of eligibility to a bunch of seniors around the country who had their final seasons ruined, and in the end... That meant great things for the Baylor program. That meant the addition of guys like Charlie Broom, who played number one singles for Dartmouth for multiple seasons, was a guy who qualified for the NCAA championships in both singles and doubles. That meant getting a guy on the team by the name of, oh, I don't know, Nick Stachowiak, who had a pretty decent career for the Blue Devils, finished his career at the number one singles position for them. Obviously, he comes along with Spencer Furman. They had had success at the NCAA doubles. They still have RYAN 
and Dickey on the roster. Uh, and then they bring back everyone else from that talented 13-3 and team. But then, of course, you have the third part of the offseason, which has to be mentioned. And, of course, this team uh, was coached by Brian Boland, who, after leaving the University of Virginia for the USTA, comes back to college tennis to steer the ship. He finally had the roster, the team, the program exactly where he wanted it to be. And, of course, he resigns from the program. And we don't have to relitigate Boland on this podcast because we've talked about it enough in the offseason, and I really want to focus on this Bears team. Uh, but, of course, they turn internally. They bring assistant head coach who had had uh, Mike Wood who had had the interim job. They give him the full head coaching position. And of course, you know, he steers this roster now into the 2021 season. Let's just start, you know, again, because obviously I know Nick is on the team and I'm not asking you to violate his confidence, but just, you know, we had the chance to talk to Coach Woodson, Chris and I on the Cracked Interviews podcast, which of course I implore everyone to listen to, but just in general, your feelings about the team and then just what you're feeling, you know, what you're hearing about that team, how hungry they must be to you know get into this season yeah so let's just let's kind of address all of these things that you just mentioned there first going back to last season right they were injured you know there's no question about it I do just want to recap that point a little bit we never saw this team at full health and obviously they were hitting their stride as COVID ended the season last year. So that was disappointing. I mean, I know all three of us were really looking forward to watching Baylor last year at their full potential, and we never got to see that. So, you know, hopefully this year, praying that they can stay healthy and, and have a fantastic season. Then, of course, you mentioned Gruskin. Uh, the three guys that come in, the grad transfers, obviously, all three of them are tremendous players. They're going to make immediate impacts, had super success, um, you know, at the top of the lineup, singles, doubles, the whole nine yards, everything um, at Duke for for Nick and Spencer, and then obviously at Dartmouth for Charlie. So uh, looking to, you know, looking forward to what those guys are going to bring right off the bat. And then obviously with Coach Boland, um, a disappointing situation. I think everybody also kind of wanted to see you know, what he could do uh, with this squad, bringing the guys in and everything. But Coach Woodson's going to do fantastic. I mean, he's he's ready for this. Um, I have confidence that he's going to be just fine leading the troops here um, for this season and into the future. So really for me, just talking with some of the guys, I mean, they are hungry. And you mentioned that, Gruskin. I mean, this is going to be a different kind of season, obviously, for, for a number of reasons. But just the amount of sheer experience on this Baylor roster. I mean, we're talking multiple fifth-year guys, fourth-year seniors, juniors. I mean, there's not a freshman on the roster. Everybody on the team has some level of experience. And the guys that are going to be playing, most likely, are all going to be super experienced. I mean, we're talking three, four, five seasons of college tennis under their belt. So I know from everybody that I've talked to, they cannot wait to get rolling here. They're looking forward to it. And I'll tell you this, guys. I mean, right from the jump, they're going to come out and try to put the hurt on people. I mean, there's going to be no time for them to just kind of ease into this thing immediately, right from the get-go. They're going to look to roll up, you know, steamroll opponents. I, I think they have a lot to prove, and they're excited about it. 
Look, when Chris and I talked with Coach Woodson, that was something he mentioned as well. Why did we choose to go to Michigan, a region that already had A&M and Pepperdine and the Wolverines? It's because we want to play the best and beat the best from the get-go. Match opportunities are going to be so valuable in 2021, more so than any other season, because you just don't know when there's going to be a COVID flare-up either on your roster, on an opponent's roster, or some sort of restriction that doesn't allow you to play the schedule you want to play and. That was the other takeaway for Coach Woodson is these guys want to play. They are ready to get out there. And Chris, I mean, you look at the roster, you look at the new additions. How can you not be excited with this team? There are so many question marks. Who plays where? What's the lineup going to look like? But, you know, UTR has these guys as an 80.02 right now for their power six. I think we can scrap that UTR, right? I think we both agree. I think all three of us agree, but Chris, uh, you specifically here, this is a top three roster on talent. It's just about making the pieces fit. Yeah, and you've got obvious and, and picking the right pieces week in, week out, right? Because you've got so many of them. It's one of one of a couple teams, right? When we look at up and down the lineups, like a Wake and a, and a Baylor that just have a ridiculous number of guys that could could play uh, any given day, and I think, uh, and I, Maddie hasn't heard uh, heard our pod with uh, with Coach Woodson yet. I think the one of the things that struck me, Gruskin, in terms of getting right to business was the fact that he said he was shocked and I and and almost sounded a little disappointed that Texas Tech jumped in and took Ohio State because had they not, they were going to go to Columbus to take on Ohio State, which I think you know that's that's pretty ballsy right there. I mean. The, you know, no, nobody goes into Ohio State and wins indoors. So that would, you know, that's a feat. And if you want to test yourself, that's where you go to test yourself right off the bat for sure. Yeah, I mean, you look at the roster they bring back in just the players who were at Baylor last season. Sven Law established himself as probably one of the top 10 players in the country. He went 25-5 and overall, 14-1 uh, and during the dual match season. A lot of that success coming at the number two singles position where he was 10-0 and and, you know, one of the best players in the country, of course. He was also part of, I believe, the number one doubles team in the country with Konstantin Franzen at one point. Sven Law also teamed up with Jimmy Bendek back in the day to reach that position. Coach Woodson called him the best doubles player in the country. You know, you could argue Blumberg, you could argue Riley Smith if you want to. There are a couple others you can throw in there, but certainly, you know, I would throw Connor Johnson in there. Sorry, I had to do it. Go blue. Uh, but certainly, don't give me that handshake. Chris, litigate this. Matt's mad at me. Would you throw Connor in the conference? You've seen the swinging backhand volley in person. Uh, that's enough to justify a no right there, right? <laughs> no, that's enough to justify a hell yes. It's like, if you can do that, what else can you do? Uh, but anyways, the point is, Svenla firmly asserted himself in that conversation as well. And, you know, again, this was a team that went 10-3 and three at the number one singles position uh, between Soto, La, and Adrian Boyton. 13-2 and two at the number two singles position. 13-3 and three at four singles. 13-1 and one at six singles. They had depth to start with. They had doubles options as well. Then you throw in guys like Broom and, you know, who again, uh, number one singles player for Dartmouth, the Kowiak, and you still have Garcia coming back. You still have Franson, who Coach Boland wanted to remind Chris and I every time we talked, you know, he's lost like four dual matches in his entire career, which is very true. And it's just, you have all of these options. So, Maddie, when you start to look at the roster, you start to look, look at the new additions. I mean, 
you're crafting your six guys. Even before you get to where they're going to play in the lineup, what are you leaning towards? Experience, upside in terms of talent, because there's a lot of different directions you can go. Yeah, that's that's a great question. And really, when you break this down, guys, I it mean, they the can almost field two teams. They can almost field two teams, right? With this amount of depth, it, it is crazy. Absolutely. But if if we're going to narrow it down to six guys, and they can probably play 10 or 11 guys with no problem. I mean, you look at this entire roster, they can all play. What I what What we've all seen, right, over the years that we've been doing this and we've been watching college tennis, teams that go the farthest – have experience and depth, right? If you can win at four, five, and six, if you have guys playing down there that are fourth year, fifth year guys, that's a major advantage over teams that may be playing freshmen at five and six. There's no comparison there. I don't care how talented the freshmen are, it's not the same as playing a senior or a fifth year guy on this Baylor roster. So for me, when I'm looking at well, six just, guys. Just quickly quickly to your point, Maddie, because uh, this is not a bold take. Well, it is. A, it's a, it, it, sorry. This is a bold take. It is not a hot take. This is the best college tennis team at the five and six singles position since Henrik Wiersholm and J.C. Aragoni were lining up for Virginia. That's not hyperbole. That's a fact. As good as that Wake Forest team was, it was Gojo, Hrisokos, Mansuri at the top. It's like, all right, we're getting two of those. We're winning doubles. Now we really just have to find one more. And it was it Serafin. Was it Godjev? That Wake Forest team struggled to find their number six singles position. You know, the next year after that, why didn't Florida beat Texas? Because Texas, well, for their there are many different reasons, but it was the fact that, uh, you know, they had bands or they had just all these different options. They knew what they wanted to do at five and six. And, you know, just respectfully, Florida did not at the time. And that's where the lineup ended up a little bit shaky in the end. And, you know, last season, I think USC, we saw the depth they had at the five and six singles position. And that's not to say the guys they had weren't Wearsholm, uh, you know, they weren't good. They just weren't Wearsholm Aragoni good in Nick Stokowiak and respectfully, and sorry, to keep branding your brother at five or six because he's outstanding but I just think you put him at six singles position you let him win everything that's as good as you're going that's a guy who was playing number one singles for an ACC school and having success then you throw maybe it's Poitain maybe it's Brew maybe it's freaking Soto or La whomever it may be that's Aragoni Weir's home good in that at 99% of the schools across the country they'd be playing one or two singles right Exactly. Exactly. And that's why this team, I think in every single match that they play, just, I mean, really every single match, I don't care if it's the North Carolinas, the Wake Forest, the USC's, Baylor's probably going to be favored four through six against just about everybody, which is what you just alluded to. And I completely agree. If I have to break this down though, right. And we're talking six guys. This is just me, and I have no idea what Coach Woodson's going to do. I still think they're figuring this out. But I would roll with the three guys that were in the program, that have been in the program for years, in Sven, Matthias, and Adrian. Those three guys, just off of their sheer talent, their production, everything they've done throughout their careers, singles, doubles, everything, they should definitely be in there in some order. I have no idea what the order is going to be. I don't really care because I don't think it matters. And then, I like I was talking about with the depth and the experience, I personally would look to the three grad transfers in Nick, Spencer, and Charlie, and I would probably roll with those six. Again, in some order. I don't know. But here's the thing, right? 
you look at the roster. You mentioned Connie Franson. This guy doesn't lose dual matches. My guy Ryan Dickerson isn't going to lose dual matches if you throw him in there. Last year, he clinched against Wake Forest. Okay, big win at home. He's a gamer, right? And then you've got Garcia. You've got, um, you know, the Franson brother. I mean, we could go on and on. Finn Bass is a really good player. So it doesn't really matter who they put in there, and it's tough to break it down. But at the end of the day, if I think these guys are going to go win a title, I would at least start with the three guys who have been in the program, Matias, Sven, Adrian, and then roll with Nick, Spencer, and uh, Charlie and take my chances there. And of course, if anything happens, if somebody's not playing well, if there's an injury, an illness, there's so many guys that can come in, I wouldn't even worry about it. That's absolutely a huge aspect for this team as well. That's something Coach Woodson alluded to, Chris, something else he alluded to and something I've talked about with him, just the level of play they're seeing in practice, that the margins, especially in a no-ad environment, you know, one day Connie Franson probably is beating Matthias Soto, but the next day he's losing to Finn Bass because the margins between these players are so thin, and I'm just— you're picking straws, and it is – you made this allusion to the Stanford 98 team during the Woodson podcast, and, you know, nothing is more me than stealing a good take of yours and claiming it for my own. But rather than doing that here in the New Year's spirit, I want you to explain that platoon system to our listeners who may not be familiar with it. And then, of course, I want to hear your take on where you think this lineup ends up shaking out. Yeah, we kind of, I made that remark that kind of that 98 Stanford team had – Ryan Walters and, and Paul Goldstein and the Bryan brothers, and they actually went <clears throat> through the year saying, look, we've got four equal guys. We're going to play every one of you the same number of times at one, two, three, and four. So one day Goldstein's playing one and Mike Bryan's playing four, and the next day it's the other way around, and they all played the same number of matches until they got to the NCAA tournament when they had to pick a lineup. Right? But uh, and I, you know, I kind of joke that you could almost do that here because you could throw these guys out there in any order you want. Now, he's not going to do that, I'm sure. He's going to pick a lineup, but it's that kind of lineup where these guys are so close that you could do it. But, uh, but as far as, as you know, roster and lineup projections, it's 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 almost eerie that uh, you know Matt and I haven't talked at all, and I had to pull my text back up because I'm sure. I'm sure that Gruskin coerced Woodson into coming back to me after the pod saying, hey, I never got your lineup. What is it? So, which is exactly <laughs> what happened. Woodson hits me up and he goes, let me have the lineup. And I went, oh, all right. So off the cuff, here we go. And I had to pull it up. And, and I have the exact same six. And he made the same comment to me, Maddie. He's like, yeah, I would. it would just be impressive if you could name the six without right. getting the order, right? Exactly. And, I honestly don't think that's very impressive because my six are the same six you named, and and I'll even put yep. them in the order the order I gave them. I put them: Matthias Soto one, Charlie Broom two, Svenla three, Poiton four, Nick at five, and Spencer Furman at six. Uh, and I think that when we get to an outdoor season, Boyton works his way down, Nick works his way up. Uh, but boy, Tan hits such a huge ball, and he's such a big guy that indoors, uh, you could you know you could put him anywhere. Uh, you can put put him as high as you want, probably. But uh, but as to the points you mentioned, Gruskin, I love the fact that I think I can get away with playing Nick and Spencer at five and six 
from guys that were like one and two at an ACC school and I can get away with this. Uh, I mean, I'll take that all day. Yeah, I mean, you look at the statistics these guys have put up over their past three seasons in La, uh, or these past three seasons in La and Soto. You know, Matthias Soto goes sixteen and eight his first year. He goes eighteen and five his second year. Last year he was a quality six and three overall. Now not a ton of matches, but six and two at the number one singles position. That's getting the job done. Of course, for Sven Lott, it's been constant growth: fourteen and six, twenty-two and four, and then as we mentioned, fourteen and one last season during dual matches it goes without saying those two are going to find their way to a, into the lineup they probably do end up at the top two positions to start the season now you guys know super producer max fliegner spent some time at dartmouth overlapping with charlie broom and i've made this clear to coach uh, to coach i've made this clear to you guys I just think Charlie is a guy who plays to the level of his competition always. Doesn't matter how good you are, he is able to reach that level as well. And I think he's a gamer who's better served in the top half of a lineup. I think if you throw Charlie Broom at three singles, I don't know who beats him across the country. Like a Hijikata versus Broom battle. Broom's got the weapons and he's a fifth-year senior to hit Hijikata off the court. And it's the same deal against a Kyle Selig. He's got the weapons to hit Selig off the court. And so does Adrian Boitan, to both of your points. But I just, Charlie's so match tough at this point. You throw him in at three singles. I like that to start the season. Of course, I also think Adrian, as you mentioned, Chris, when he's clicking, he hits the ball as hard as any player in college tennis right now. And it's just like, you're going to put that guy lower than four singles. That doesn't seem very productive. And so I do think those are your top four. You guys know my fascination with Alex Garcia. I watched him strike the ball at the National Indoors and just the way the ball flew off his racket. The guy's got so much talent, and he came in with, I think, a broken foot last season, so we didn't get to see the best of him. I think he fights his way into the lineup. If I, you know, Sebastian Northhaft and Finn Bass and all these guys, RYA and Dickey, they're all going to scrap and claw their way, and they're all going to want and deserve the opportunity to play in matches, and so I do think it's going to be a constant platoon I just think the idea of playing your brother at six is a cheat code I love. So I'm just kind of locked in. I'm like penciling that in because you can get away with it. That's why you do it. <sighs> but how am I going to say Spencer Furman's not going to crack the lineup? Like how am I going to how, – how could I say that justifiably and and be honest with my listeners? So it probably goes to Koyak five, Furman six. As much as I would, I do think Garcia is going to get some time at five and Nick at six, but I just think that's probably the way it ends up. I don't know. What do you think, Maddie? You're shaking your head. Well, here's the thing about Garcia, and I don't, I don't know Alex personally, but he is younger, right? I mean, he hasn't had the experience. Would you rather, you know? And I know he's very talented. I have no doubts about that. But are you going to play a guy that's played a couple of matches, a couple of duels, or? I mean, are you going to play a fifth-year guy? You know, and again, what about Connie Franson? I mean, this is a guy that doesn't lose. Where does he factor in? Ryan so, Dickerson, right? Fifth-year guy isn't going to lose if you throw him at the bottom. I mean, again, there's so many options here, but I think it, it's going to work itself out. The best guys are going to get into that lineup, and they're going to get in a rhythm, and we'll see pretty shortly. It's not going to take long before we find out. Here's the thing, and Chris is shaking his head. With Garcia, the counter, Matty, is don't you want to see him 
get matches under her belt, you know exactly what you're going to get from RYAN. You know exactly what you're going to get from Nick and Spencer. You don't know what you're going to get from Alex Garcia when the chips are down quite yet. And if you're Coach Woodson, you want to know that answer prior to NCAAs before you know, okay, do we have a little higher upside here or do we go to the horses that we know have our back? And I mean, it's always the the line to toggle, right, Chris? Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm just going to tell Maddie right now, those streaks, but you know, Franson not lo- not losing a dual match, Dickerson not losing a dual match. Those streaks are going to continue. They're not going to lose a dual match because they're not going to see a dual match. Okay, <laughs> not one that matters. There is no chance either one of those guys is playing in a dual match that matters. When you've got, I mean, hell, you can go back and Dickerson was on the same team with Matt and Nick. I mean, with Matt and Nick, with Nick and Spencer, and well well behind them in the lineup there's no way he's coming in front of one of them in that lineup uh and this and Franson Franson will I think will play doubles at least we'll get a fair shot at playing doubles and I've got kind of what I what I think would be a good double setup for them I think that will happen I don't think in meaningful big time matches that he makes that singles lineup either I to me it's the six guys we named and the first two guys out that are in question are Finn Bass uh, and and Alex Garcia, and I think those are the guys that are scrapping. Beyond that, and not Connie, and not Franson. No, I don't think Franson's seeing singles action, but, but in front of any of those eight. Yeah. So here's the thing. Here's Normally, the thing. Oh, go ahead, Betty. Go ahead. And well, I was just going to say they're going to have matches throughout the season. I totally get what you're saying, Chris. And there's going to be plenty of matches. They've got several double headers scheduled. If you guys have seen their their calendar, all these guys are going to play, right? And what Chris is saying is, hey, look, when we're playing at national indoors, right? When we're playing in the Big 12 tournament, when we're playing at the NCAA tournament to go win a ring, these are the six guys that you want to hang your hat on. And I'm with them. That makes sense to me. All these other guys are going to get their matches in. And if worse comes to worse, let's say something does happen, right? We don't know how the season's going to shake out. There are so many capable guys that even if there's an injury or two, this season, it's really not going to matter. Like last season, Baylor lost to Arkansas and we ripped him. I, I ripped Coach Boland in the entire but I, I was ripping him for losing to Arkansas. Oh, I remember. They were shorthanded. Yeah, I know you remember. I know you guys remember that. <laughs> But look, that's not going to happen this year because there's so many guys in. I don't care if it's Dickey or Franson or Garcia. They're all going to come in and win if they have to. Can I just say, Coach Woodson, when I brought up RYA and Dickey, he recited, I think it's like the R.A. Dickey autobiography, and he's like, great book. He's like, if you haven't read it, great book. That was yep. that was a peak. I'm, again, I'm on the Coach Woodson bandwagon for sure. He's a beast, he's, man. Yeah. No, and to, to add to your point, and look – we're we're finicking here around with eight to nine outstanding lineup options. No matter what way 
Coach Woodson plays it, he's likely to find success, as you mentioned, at the four, five, six singles position. That's the sort of depth this team has. But normally, we have a full fall schedule to sort of litigate some of these things. Who are the guys that are really standing out? And what are the doubles teams that stood out as well? Because that's something we haven't talked about. But maybe even bigger than the singles lineup issue is, what am I going to do with this doubles lineup? I have eight guys, and I could form you know, with those eight guys, 16 different teams or whatever it may be, and all of them could be outstanding. And you you look at the fall results. I mean, a guy we've talked about on the margins, Finn Bass, seven and two. That's the best on the team or tied with uh, your brother, Nick Stokowiak, who we've talked about a lock in the lineup. We haven't said Finn Bass is a lock. He was seven and two. And I mean, you look at a guy, Matthias Soto, four and oh, fine. He's a lock. Some of the other guys, Furman was three and one. You know, La was two and three in singles, but we know he's a lock. So it's tough. We haven't gotten to see these guys compete that frequently. Now you start to look at the doubles teams. I think it's pretty safe to say, and Coach Woodson sort of alluded to this as well, we are going to see Franson and Law stay together to start the season. When you reach number one in the country, you kind of earn that sort of clout. But, you know, beyond that, do you keep your brother and I, I shouldn't refer to him. Do you keep Nick and Spencer together? Do you, you know, what do you do with Matthias Soto, who certainly should have a spot in the lineup? And, you know, if you're going to include Soto, how are you not going to include Charlie Broom, who uh, made the NCAA tournament in doubles while at Dartmouth? But now if you include those guys, well, what about the guys who aren't playing singles? Don't you want maybe to give them a look in doubles? Chris, when you start to look at the doubles lineup as well, I think it's just as difficult. Yeah, oh, it's definitely tough. But, I mean, to answer your question, don't don't I want to give those guys a look? No. I want to win. (laughs) (laughs) If if my answer to winning means that the same six guys play, then that's the way it is. I don't think that's going to be it because I'm with you. I believe we will see Franson and La play together to start the year. Uh, I also think there's a good chance we see them play at two dubs. And and another thing that Coach Woodson referred to, right – He's half the teams out there. He even said, most of your teams don't even play their best doubles teams at one, right? You know, they, because you can put them in any order you want in dubs and it, you know, it, it almost doesn't matter. You could just throw your, you know, to the lawless lineup question that you asked him. He was okay with, yeah, just whatever, put them in an order. I don't, you put your three out there. I'll put three out there, line them up however you want. Anybody can play anyone. I actually think that it's very possible that we see, and I, and I like the pairing of Matthias Soto and Charlie Broom. They went to Fayetteville. They won the Futures in Fayetteville, beat some very good teams there. You're, you already know you're going to be short on experience of doubles pairings playing together because of the shortened fall, lack of tournament play, et cetera. So you've got a team there that won a Futures event together. You keep them together. You've got, you've got La and Franson that you keep together. And if it's me, yeah, I go back and I play Nick and Spencer uh, together because they're very familiar uh, with each other and and they play three dubs for me. That's just a crazy thought of the idea of Nick and Spencer lining up at three doubles after again playing number one doubles for an ACC school last season and it's justified. But then it's like, have you seen Adrian Boitant serve? Like that's that yeah. put those three you know put those holds on the board for your team and you're not going to include that in the doubles lineup. It it's tricky, Matt. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think, you know, 
I agree with Chris for the most part. I think Sven and Connie, I mean, they've been so good. They've earned that yeah. spot to be able to play together. There's no question. Now, I don't know if it's going to be at one, two, three. I, I don't care. That doesn't really matter. Quickly, 18 and three, the two of them were last year. So, yeah, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, and they, and they played one and everything. So I feel really good with that pairing. There's that familiarity there. Chris mentioned the Futures tournament, right? Matias and Charlie. That was instant chemistry. These guys had never played together before that. They showed up instant chemistry, and they win that title. That speaks a lot. I mean, that's very, very important to be able to find that so quickly. Here's another team. Obviously, Nick and Spencer, I know what they can do. They can beat anybody. I'm not worried about them. Nick and Adrian together. You kind of pair Adrian's power, big-time serve. Nick loves – I'm telling you guys right now, Nick loves being able to – poach around the net and just clean up around there. I think that could potentially be a pairing, Nick and Spencer, Nick and Adrian, if they can find that chemistry, right? Because I think doubles is going to be very important for this team. If if Coach Woodson and the staff can find the right doubles combinations, I mean, these guys could win doubles points every single match. I mean, there's not a team in the country, North Carolina included. If I'm going to roll out there, Sven and Connie – Matias and Charlie and then Nick and Adrian or Nick and Spencer, I'll roll those guys out against anybody and take my chances. And here's the other thing. Ryan Dickerson, very capable doubles player. Finn Bass, very aggressive, good hands around the net, very capable doubles player. I mean, there's about four teams here, eight guys that you can really roll with. Well, you, you, know, you say that, Maddie. What I what I found interesting was, and it'll be interesting to see the pairings at the start of the year because yeah. one of the Coach Woodson mentioned, he actually made it sound like we probably wouldn't see a lot of flip-flopping of the teams. If you in, in terms of trying all kinds of different pairings together, he made it sound like they were going to come with and make, you know, they're going to put together five teams or six teams, whatever it is, right? And then let those guys get a lot of work together and then play the teams that are on form. And so once you kind of get paired up with your guy and that unless it's just not working at all, right? Right. He was gonna kind of he was gonna roll with those teams and and if it and if a team wasn't working out, you got another team right behind him. Yeah, that's that's smart. That's a good idea because the chemistry is gonna be important. When we're factoring in these new guys, right? We're talking about three guys that weren't there last year. Nick, Spencer, Charlie, they're factoring into this lineup in singles and doubles. Really, in du- singles, it's not going to matter. These guys are going to go out and win singles. But in doubles, you've got to find th- those pairings that really work. Doubles is so important. And if this team can consistently win doubles points, look out. Because they're not losing four singles. They're going to split the singles against anybody in the country. And really, four through six are going to be favored in, in every single match. Yeah. I mean, look, you, you, we've talked about the experience on this team, but in terms of what the guys at Baylor have accomplished, that core of Soto, La, and then you want to throw Boy Ten in there, you know, uh, two seasons ago, 2018, they end up making the NCAA second round. They go one and four, I believe, in the conference, but end up losing in the conference finals. I want to say to Texas the next year, 2019, that team ends up actually, you know, not winning the regular season, but winning the Big 12 championships, beating that national championship winning Texas team in 
in the final. They then lose a 4-0 quarterfinal to Florida, uh, a match Florida played about as well as it could have. And, you know, then last season, there were a lot of expectations for this team. They didn't get to see them play out. So to something we have talked about before, it's a hungry group that has won at the biggest stages, is experienced in the big matches. They've played a couple of national indoors. They've, you know, made the final site of NCAAs. They've won a conference tournament. So certainly they have that built-in experience as well. But of course, you know, Tex, uh, Baylor, excuse me, one of the few teams that has actually released its schedule upon us recording uh, these previews, and so we can talk a little bit about that schedule, about where they stack up in their conference, because you look at that 2021 uh, schedule, it is very conference-centric. We see that they are going to play home-and-homes against, I believe, every one of their conference foes, or I think that was something that Coach Woodson told us, Chris, uh, when we talked to him in our preview, correct me if I'm wrong there, but we also see matches uh, for the them two against SMU. They've got Harvard coming to town. They've got Texas. They're going to Texas A&M. Excuse me. They're spending a weekend at Wake Forest and at NC State. They also have Texas A&M, excuse me, coming home. So there is a home and home against A&M as well. Uh, Chris, just your preliminary thoughts on their schedule and on where they stack up in this Big 12 conference. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they quite play home and home with everybody. He he didn't say he said they were going to play some home and homes. I don't think everybody. I see Texas, TCU, and Oklahoma on there. I'm not sure about Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. And Texas Tech. Uh, yeah, I think I think Oklahoma State and Texas Tech they may only play once. But yeah, I mean the the schedule is is absolutely ridiculous. I mean it, you know there there's no shortage of uh, of matches there for them to. Uh, to get good competition from, you know, they're going to get, a, they'll get a few warmups, uh, you know, leading into, uh, uh, leading into that kickoff weekend, including, uh, I think I see on their schedule, they've got it listed as uh, a, a double, a double header with SMU. I think coach Woodson told us it was actually, uh, they do it. Oh, they do it twice during the season. So they play them four times. They get a double header twice. So that'll give a lot of guys a chance to play. But, uh, but then, yeah, once they go to kickoff, they come back from kickoff and they play non-conference matches with Texas and TCU right off the bat. I mean, that's uh, as well as Oklahoma, that's going to be, you know, very good. Then depending on whether they made it out of uh, uh, the kickoff or not, you've got indoors coming. And then they come right back with that trip with A&M, NC State, at NC State, which is a hard place to play, at Wake Forest. I mean, it's just a – it's the kind of schedule that you've become accustomed to seeing Ohio State play every year or Virginia go and play or, you know, USC go on the road and play some of these matches. They're just it's just top teams. So they're, you know, they'll find out real quick, A, how good they are and B, who the guys are that are going to be playing. No, for sure. The Boland is strong in him. You can tell from their conference schedule just how many uh, power or from their schedule, how many powerhouse teams they intend on playing. Now, of course, you know, the regional based aspect, the fact that they're playing A&M home and home, that's not a surprising development. You do love to see them go to Carolina, get two matches in while they're against Wake and NC State. Hopefully see we try we see other teams try and do similar things. Hopefully we see them allowed to do uh, similar things. But, you know, it's funny We've talked about UTRs being funky right now. You look in their conference, their team is third by UTR. They are ahead of Texas, but they're slightly behind Oklahoma State, slightly behind TCU. Maddie, you're shaking your head. I know you do not feel this way about the Bears. 
Don't buy into that BS, guys. Come on. You know how I feel about UTR. That's absolute BS. We all know it. Nobody can buy into that bull crap, okay? So I'm not worried about the UTRs. Baylor is going to win the Big 12. I mean, unless something drastically goes wrong, I think they're a solid favorite, and I am certainly picking them to win the conference. I do think TCU is a very good team. Very good. But they don't have the depth of Baylor, and they're younger. They do not have the experience. They're probably going to have about three guys in their lineup that were freshmen last year and kind of had a shortened season. So as much as I like TCU, Oklahoma State is also very talented but not deep. They don't have any depth. They only have like seven or eight guys on their entire roster. Um, So for me, there's no question Baylor um, is the top dog in the Big 12. No question. Chris, same question to you. Yeah, I, I'm with Maddie. I don't, you know, you you look at the you look at that you or you look at the lineups and you go, how is Oklahoma State coming out? I mean, Oklahoma State's not by by no means right. I as you even mentioned, uh, I think to Coach Bowl, there's there's nobody that's been higher on them preseason than me. I love that roster when they've added Hendrick Hendrick Korsgaard to it, but uh, but I still look at them side by side and and you know by the time you go four five six as we've mentioned, I'm going. How are those four, five, six beating the Baylor four, five, six? I don't know how they're going to beat them. There's, I don't. That's no. That's not. I just don't see that. So, and yeah, I'm, I'm with Maddie. I think they, they're definitely the favorite. I think they're going to win the conference. Uh, I've, you know, I think we all have them um, in front of a very good TCU team. Uh, but you just, you just get that feeling with this team that it's just, you know, there's no, there's very little unknown. The only unknown is whether Woodson's actually going to play the six guys we said that he should probably be playing, right? Or does it come out different? But in all of the fifth-year guys that you've got, you know, bringing in three grad transfers, you know exactly what you've got on the team if that's who you choose to play. It's There's zero unknown in terms of, oh, how's this guy going to come into the year? He's a freshman or he's only got half a season of experience because last year was his first year. No, you don't have any of that. You know exactly what you're going to get everywhere else, you, you know, maybe there's some questions. Yeah, and I think when you start to look at our outlook for this team, you know, in terms of our year or in terms of our preseason rankings, Maddie and I both had them number 3, Chris, you had them number 5, but and we'll talk about this number 2 team Wake Forest next week in terms of upside, in terms of ceiling, this team probably has the highest ceiling in the country. If everyone stays healthy, if everyone uh, plays their best tennis, their pathway to six points is just, or excuse me, their pathway to four points is just as wide as any team's. Their calculus, they can legitimately find a point at each and every flight in each and every match. Now, do we think they're as sure of a thing as a North Carolina? Maybe not. I think North Carolina is at two points at the start of every match. They win doubles. They win Blumberg. I think you know, again, we can get into the certainty as we get into those teams, but in terms of broadest range of possibilities, without question, this uh, this Baylor team uh, reaches every point. They just they can throw so many different looks at you, and again, with the difficult schedule, they're going to have the chance to try out different things, find out who should be playing where. They're going to be able to ride momentum. If this player's hot, this guy's not. They're going to be able to ride him out for a few weeks because, again, they have that sort of depth. They're going to be able to withstand the injuries and nags and bruises and everything that comes with a normal season, plus, of course, the uh, extreme COVID season. And then, of course, it 
there's that experience factor that you've mentioned, Maddie, as well. The fact that it's a bunch of redshirt seniors or fourth-year players or guys who have just been around the block. And, you know, none of them have advanced past an NCAA quarterfinal. And, of course, there takes a certain huevos. Once you get to that NCAA semifinal round and you've got a bunch of good teams, then it's who's the most experienced coaches, players, all of the who, you know, just who does the deuce points break for on any given day. But, I mean, sh- I will be shocked. Absolutely shocked if this team is not in the NCAA semifinals and they are a thousand percent, you know, 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, 1E. We said all of these top five teams could win a national championship. This team, Matt, belongs in that conversation. Yeah, there's no question. They can win it all. No no doubt about it. Once we get to that stage, NCAA quarterfinals, semifinals, it's all mental, right? They've gotten to that point. It all comes down to the mentality. Are they going to be strong enough mentally to go all the way and win a title? Right now, I'm not going to pick this team as my favorite to win it all. I'm not. And I think I would have for sure if Jensen Brooksby had stuck around. I, I do think that is a bit of a loss to have that guy come in and just be an instant, you know, one of the absolute best players in college tennis everybody else pushes down a little bit. I think without question, that would have solidified me saying that Baylor's going to win the title this year without Brooksby. I would be disappointed if they don't make the Final Four. Like you said, Gruskin, this is absolutely a Final Four team, and they can still win it all because, again, it's all going to be mental when they get to that point. Four through six, I'm not worried. If they match up with the North Carolina, let's say, one, two, three, Will Blumberg, Ben Seguin, Rinky Hijikata. Those guys are, are a little scary. I mean, that is a tremendous top three. And we'll have to see if Baylor's top three, which we don't even know who they're going to be yet at that stage or in the beginning, but can they match up with those guys? Four through six, I'm not worried. Doubles, I think they can match up. It's literally going to come down to a couple of points here or there just like Wake Forest. Wake Forest is another team that has as much depth probably as Baylor, one of the only other teams in the country that can match that depth. They're not quite as experienced. They're going to be playing some younger guys, Wake Forest is, and historically they've struggled in doubles. So for me, you know, I know I had Baylor ranked third, Wake second. That to me is just a toss-up. That could go any way, and I think doubles could be the difference there. So, I mean, this Baylor team could easily be playing for the title in that final match. No question about it. Is that a prediction that they will make the final or no, Matty? Are you not yeah. quite ready yeah, to no, go that, there? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll go there. I'll go there. I think they're going to be better than Wake Forest. I do off of experience. I think their doubles is going to be a little bit better. Better. So in order to get four points, I say they do come out of that. Um, so right now I'm going to take – well, we're not even at this at this point yet, but – North Carolina, I'll just say it. Spoiler alert. I'm going to pick UNC to win it all. I'll have Baylor in the final second no, right now. I think it's, it's a really good pick. And, I mean, we talked about their match calculus. It's not just at all six singles positions. They can also win all three doubles flights each and every time. One doubles, two doubles, three yep. doubles. It does not matter. They have that level of quality of a team. 
Chris, your thoughts on where this team ends up in the national, you know, power rankings come end of season? Because number five, I, again, I, I, we said number five. It's worth mentioning all of these top five teams we have as national title contenders. So you having them at number five is not an indictment on this team. But I do have to ask, why do you have them lower than the other four? Yeah, primarily for the reason, but it's hard to make that argument very seriously overwake, but for the exact reason that Maddie said, the question mark to me with this team is one through three. They're they're rock solid and you could play the, the lineup interchangeably, but what that also means is that, you know, you're either just far and away better than everybody else, or if they're all interchangeable, you're really good at the bottom and maybe slightly susceptible at the top. And I think that that's potentially the case, especially as Maddie said, if you go and line them up against a North Carolina team where you're looking at Blumberg, Seguin, and Hijikata at one through three, I start to worry about that one through three. And now all of a sudden, doubles is really big. And you probably don't get swept at one through three. Maybe you get one of them. But then when you're playing a team the caliber of North Carolina, you probably don't win all three of four through six. You probably get two out of the three. Again, you probably split singles. And it comes down to doubles, so maybe it is, you know, doubles. But I think over the long haul, if I saw those guys play a lot of matches uh, like that, I worry about the top, you know, the, the number of times you, you win two out of the three in the top three against the top teams. So uh, so that, that's my concern there. So, yeah, I had them. I had them five. Both you guys had them right in the top three. Um, my Obviously, the big – the big discrepancy is I have USC up there and you guys didn't. Uh, and then I put Ohio State in front of them and you guys had Ohio State behind them. Uh, from my perspective, Ohio State really was more uh, the experience. It's a, everybody's been there other than obviously you're adding J.J. Tracy. But you know what you're getting out, out of that, that team uh, as well. Uh, and they're going to – this year, it's going to – it's so hard to say ranking-wise. I say Ohio State's there – just because they're going to play all their matches at Ohio State, they're going to win all their matches, and they're going to come in playing Big Ten opponents with a ridiculous record, uh, and then get to the then have to go play outdoors at NCAAs. Maybe it doesn't go that way. I do think, even though I've got them ranked number five, I don't think that I, I'm not willing to say I don't think they make the semis. Right? Obviously, at five, you'd say that's a quarterfinal loss. Right? I don't think that happens. I think by the end of the year, uh, they don't lose in the quarterfinals. They they at least make the semis, but I still like and want to see a North Carolina-USC final. I don't know if I'll get that. I'm sticking with that for my prediction, so I'll say they make the semis and, and and bow out, particularly if it's like a matchup with North Carolina in the semis. Yeah. Look, the transitive property is a feature of any sort of college tennis discussion, any sort of tennis discussion. I beat you, therefore, you know, I can beat them because they beat you and whatever it may be. And I just think the world exists where Ohio State wins the doubles points and then Kingsley, McNally, and Selig sweep the top three. Like, I do think that world exists, and that's a pathway to them over Baylor. I just don't see a pathway for Ohio State over UNC, and to quote Ty Tucker, yeah, I mean, we saw that match end in 45 minutes last year, so they didn't see it at the time as well, and I just... 
you're absolutely right. In the final stages, when it's, you know, if it's coming up against Botzer and Squire and whomever plays three singles for Wake Forest, or as I mentioned, the Ohio State trio, or Cookerman, Smith, and Bullis, or Destanich, whoever it is for USC, those people, they're, they're right there with Baylor. And that's where, you know, because of that, despite the depth they have one through nine, uh, I also am used to being, you know, I, I'm a little bit sore from being burned by Florida these past two seasons. The depth they had from the one through nine position, and yet Crawford, Riffis, and then the combination of Perez, Valle, Andrade, they just weren't able to be good enough at the top three positions. And so I think regular season, this team is lights out. Like, I, I think they blitz through the Big 12 regular season. I do think they win the conference as well. I think they end up as a top three seed and thus, you know, get one of those favorable, avoid that 4-5 matchup, end up in the semifinals. From there, things get really tough. They get really, really tough. And I probably still lean UNC Baylor final as well, Maddie. but my fondness for Wake Forest has never been, uh, I've never been shy about it. And I just think national semifinal, the thing is, I really am a fan of Coach Woodson, but it's just like Coach Bresky has been there so many times as an assistant, as a head coach, and when the margins are that thin between a team, every little thing matters, and that's why I lean Wake Forest number two. It's how I cajoled the two of you into getting Wake Forest to number two in our preseason rankings. But I mean, this Baylor team's outstanding, so here's I think the they're thing, just Gruskin. as likely to coach win the national Bres- title too. Yeah, here's the thing, Gruskin, about Wake. Bresky's not playing the matches, right? It comes down to the players. I'll tell you where Baylor's going to win that match against against the Deeks. They're going to win it mentally. They're going to be mentally stronger. That's where they're going to win that match against Wake Forest. I love Coach Bresky as well. He's he's hilarious. He's awesome. But at the end of the day, he's not going to be able to go out there and win that match for them. It's going to come down to who wants it more, who's mentally stronger, and I think Baylor has a chance to do that with the guys that I know they have on this squad. I've seen them play. I know what they can do. I know what they're made of. That's where I kind of see that edge uh, for Baylor. Yeah, but it's just, it's how loose he has his guys. Oh, whatever. You're right. We'll litigate this another time. Both teams are outstanding. I just... We'll find out. Yeah, no. They I, play I, in that's, the regular season. That's what I'm saying. I'm looking forward to that home matchup so much uh, so, and obviously, hopefully, we will get to see all of these teams play. Chris, any final thoughts on the Bears? Yeah, I I think the most the most interesting part to me, Gruskin, is going to be that. So when when they go to kickoff, there's either I'm going to say I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I think Texas A&M beats Pepperdine in that match. Assuming that happens, either Baylor loses to Michigan and we're already off the bandwagon, or they beat Michigan and they play Texas A&M, which means they play Texas A&M three times. And we just said where we think they're susceptible, which is the top three, and that is the A&M strength is the top three. We're going to find out really fast whether that top three is really something we need to be worried about being susceptible or not. If they play A&M three times and, you know, they do just fine in the top, you know, they hold their own in the top three and, and win three, you know, all three matches, then I think, you know, our tune may change uh, and we'll, we'll all be with Maddie here. Uh, I, I think that's that's the telltale sign to me, and that's what I what, what I'm looking forward to seeing is watching them play a, the teams that have the a very solid top three just to see how they fare. 
Yeah, look, when you're debating, is this team going to make the semifinals or the finals or the, of the NCAAs, you're in a pretty good position as a program. And certainly we all agree that Baylor men's tennis in a very good position heading into 2021. And of course, if you want to hear more about the Bears lineup, you want to hear directly from the source, go check out our Cracked Interviews podcast with Baylor men's tennis head coach Mike Woodson. He was, I don't know if he goes by Mike, Michael, uh, I guess Michael, Coach Woodson. We'll just call him Coach. Uh, we, you know, Go check out that interview. Very candid. He's always a fun guest. Uh, I know Chris and I really enjoyed that one. Chris doing that podcast shirtless as he was not able to put a shirt on yet post-surgery. And that always adds a spicy element to the affairs. So uh, certainly be sure to go check out that podcast. And again, to read more about the Bears, go check out Matt's write-up on our website, CrackRackets.com, where you can also find our thoughts on the rest of our top 11 preseason men's D1 teams. We have talked to and talked about the coaches and teams from number 11, Georgia, number 10. Michigan, number nine, Florida, number eight, Stanford, number seven, Texas A&M, number six, TCU, number five, Ohio State, number four, oh no, excuse me, number five, USC, number four, Ohio State, now number three, Baylor. We've got two schools to go, and of course, only a couple more weeks until the kickoff weekend of the 2021 ITA season. Uh, Of course, if you have missed any of our other preseason coverage, we're ready to get our ATP and WTA season started this week as well. We will be covering all the action in Abu Dhabi in uh, both Delray and Antalya as well on the Mini Break podcast. And of course, if you miss any of the content, we need the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Crack Rackets. You want to follow me directly. I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out as always to our super producers, Max Leader and Daniel Westa for the of an editing job they do day in, day out, making all of this possible. Shout out as well to our friends at DraftKings. By the way, GSP Aces of the Day returning as well with the return of play. So be on the lookouts for those each and every morning on your Great Shot podcast feed. But with that in mind, for my guys, Chris Halioris, Matt Sikowiak, our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Gentlemen, what do we tell the people? Hey, hey, great shot. Great shot. And sick of bears. And sick of bears, and we will see you all next week. Thanks, guys.